thank you singers and all who have assisted in the service this morning. Will you take your Bibles please and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This, if you please, is what I may call a New Year's message. And James will help us to gain the answer to how we should live this year. James chapter 1, reading the first five verses. This is the word of God. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed among abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Father, this is your word, not mine. And I pray that nothing will come from these lips of mine that is not from your word. That is why I am committing myself to the Holy Spirit, that he will guide my mind and my thoughts, that no idle word shall fall from my lips, and that the devil will not be able to snatch your word from our hearts. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone wrote this. I'm at an age, and this was just recently written, I'm at an age in life when enough of it has passed that I can make some comparisons. The last five to ten years have been strange. Timothy Garton says this. He calls the period a decade with no name. The past ten years can be described as a decade without any name. The turn of the millennium to the present. It is indeed a decade in which we have seen some extraordinary events, some dreadful acts of violence, an ongoing rage of catastrophes, and some of the worst economic and moral failures that burst the bubbles of an unending prosperity and further shattered the confidence in many of our institutions. Which of us did not bow our heads or put our heads on our pillows last night without thinking of something that burdens us to the point of almost tears? The poet Tennyson puts it this way, Never a morning, war to evening, but some heart was broken. Never a morning turn into evening, but somebody's heart was broken. This morning, I want to draw from the book of James to address the challenges of a new year. I am not dealing with the book of James as such. 
but I'm drawing from one little word that is found in verse 5, and it is the word ask. Ask. We want to explore what is meant by that. But I want to give you a little bit of a background of James, of the book. Because although the, 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 the word prayer is not mentioned throughout the book, it is the theme of the entire book. In, in fact, James is, has the audacity to say, when you and I face difficulties in life, we should count it all joy. Which of, which of us did that yesterday? Which of us did that this morning? Count it all joy. He will tell us how we can. James, the writer of this book, is considered to be one of the five James that are mentioned in the New Testament. This one, particularly, is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus. You will find that in Mark chapter 6 and verse 3. The book is written to Christians. It is saying how Christians should face the unknown as well as the known. It is written to give us the secret of overcoming the frustration of life. James was such a man committed to prayer that when James died and they examined his body, they found big calluses around his knees. And he was given the title Camel Knees because he spent so much time on his knees before God. In Toronto, the People's Church was funded by a man by the name of Oswald J. Smith. And Dr. Smith could not kneel because of, I think, arthritis or something. But in his office, when he died, they found a pathway in on his, on his uh, carpet where he spent days and nights praying back and forth, back and forth. And he actually wore a part of his carpet of his of his office because he was a man of prayer. And if you know the people's church today, you will know why that church still exists and flourishing in the city of Toronto. James is telling us that it is possible for us to face the trials and the temptations of life. But he says that the reason you were able to do that The reason we're able to do that is because of the one we ask for the wisdom to do it. And that's what I want to explore this morning. Reasons for asking or why pray. James tells us in chapter 1 and verse 2 that there are difficulties in life that demands our prayer. Difficulties in life. Note that he didn't say if you face temptations. He says, when? It will come. It doesn't matter who you are. I was watching the news. Where from? Toronto last night. And and Prince Andrew, he did something years ago, apparently, I better say allegedly. You don't say anything is done today. You must say it was allegedly done. So he allegedly did something some years ago, and it just came out in the newspapers yesterday. And all of a sudden, Buckingham Palace is faced 
with something they never they were never faced with during the past year, during the last 10 years. It comes when, when. James calls it in the, new, in, in the um, AV, temptations, but literally the word is trials, trials. All kinds of trials, and I want to just look at two ways in which we face trials in our lives. The first is what I call personal or complex trials. That is, something happens to us or by us, and it multiplies into all kinds of difficulties. This is what the word various trials means. I want to give you an example. You might not know anything of this this individual, but I'll, I'll give you the story of Sir Norman Anderson, a brilliant, brilliant British scholar. He went to Cambridge University, and he was only Norman Anderson before the Queen knighted him. He went to Cambridge, successful, brilliant, brilliant students, you know, the kind of students you like to hate. They get all A's. Uh, I remember when I was in college, I used to study, I mean, day and night. And then I have a test, and I get something like a B plus. Oh, I was angry. Then I know of kids who studied the night before, and they got an A. Oh, my, that didn't make me happy. Well... Norman Anderson was one of those students, brilliant, brilliant student. He graduated from Cambridge and he went as a missionary to Egypt. He was there for several years. And due to circumstances, he returned back to Cambridge. Had three children, three children, two girls and a boy. The first girl became a missionary to the Congo. And when there was the upheaval in the Congo in 19, around the 1960s, she was gang-raped. Broken in health, she was there to help the people, and instead of being helped, she was raped. She came home, she recovered, moved to California, to get some more studies, to go back to Africa as a missionary. While there, she fell. And as she fell, she choked on her own saliva and died. That was girl number one. Girl number two died of almost same similar experience. There was one left, their boy. He went to Cambridge. At 21, was ready to make it big into the political system of Great Britain. In the midst of it, he was found with a brain tumor. And at the age of 21, he died. Three children, no more Andersons, they're all dead unexpectedly. Dead doing what one, would have ex what one could not have expected. 
difficulties in life. They happen. They happen to us personally. They happen to us individually. In fact, in Psalm 35, the psalmist David said, difficulties came to me and I tried to help and the more I helped, the more I was rejected. I had to answer for things I was not even aware of, said David. There are difficulties in life. But then there's a different kind of difficulties as well. I call this the, 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 the difficulties that come from disease and difficulties. Lois and I have a very good friend in Toronto. We hadn't heard from her for a little bit. We just got an email saying that she has multiple brain tumors right now. Her husband died some years ago at 53, was in a gymnasium. I mean, the specimen of health. And he was playing basketball, and he dropped dead. He dropped dead. How do you explain that? How do you deal with something that comes upon you that, that you're not engaged in anything that should cause that to happen, but yet it happens? There are disasters, there are disease, there's senseless killings. Can you imagine someone walking into a building like this with a machine gun and gunning everyone who is not a Muslim? And friends, we live in a world like that. It might happen to us by family members. It might happen to us by neighbors. It might happen to us by someone else in the church. It might happen to us from outside. We might watch our television screen and we will see things that we wonder, what's wrong with our world? What's going on? I watched a bit of the news this morning with a funeral in New York for this police that was killed. And someone was saying, this is a time for grieving, not a time for grievance. Because every time the mayor of New York comes in to one of these funerals, the police turn their backs because of something he did, they feel, toward them. So our world is a divided world. Our world is a diseased world. Our world is a dark world. And God, James writes to Christians in such a world, and he says, count it all joy when you face these things. Why do we ask? Because life is full of difficulties. That's why. But we ask because prayer is designed by God to deal with them. It is God's design. The question has been asked by others to me all the time. Why pray if God knows what he's going to do anyway? Because God has designed prayer as the way in which he responds to us. Prayer is not a secondary thought in the Bible. It is something that comes natural to the child of God. And this is why James writes by saying, there's a certain way we respond as God's people to the difficulties of life, whether it is public or personal. It is God's design. And I know what some of you might be saying, 
because sometimes it comes to my mind. But I have been praying for a long time and I haven't seen God do anything. I've been asking God for this. And, 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 and the situation is still the same. In fact, it has gotten worse. Then is the Bible not right? How am I going to count our joy this kind of a setting when the whole thing that I'm looking at, like the book of Habakkuk, why do you make me look at evil when you are holy? How can you be God when I feel this way about things and you are God, you have to feel a lot more perfectly about it than I do and I feel rotten about it. That's what the book of Habakkuk is like. And God says, I'm doing something, but you will, you will only know what I'm doing if you are a person who asks, who asks. All through the Bible, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Psalm 50, verse 15, in times of trouble, call upon me. This word call is to invite is to bring the person to the place where he or she knows the secret of dealing with the difficulties of life because they are using God's design to respond to it. So we have looked first at, at the reason for praying. We pray because of the difficulties of life. And we pray because of the fact that God designed prayer to deal with them. But we want to go deeper into this text. James, the book of James is called the New, the New Testament Proverb. The reason for that is because as Proverbs is a book of practical living, so is the book of James. And I don't want to get off track by what others have said of the book of James because it seems almost like a contradiction between Paul and James, and that is not the case at all. One of these days we'll get to that, not this morning. But James is saying to us, if you are a Christian and you are facing difficulties, this is what you do to deal with it. No ands or ifs or buts. But James says this is the way you pray. There are two things we recognize when we are praying or even before we pray. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any man lacks wisdom. That's, I call that human ignorance. That doesn't mean stupidity. It means that we don't know. The word lack means to be devoid of. It, it means to be without the fact, to be destitute. It describes someone who in, is in a pinch and is unable to come to any kind of understanding or thinking because that's what the word consider is, is to think through, as we shall see in a minute. Our ignorance. That's why I had Romans 8 read. Because Romans 8 said, when we don't know how to pray, and friends, there are difficulties in your life and mine in which we don't know how to pray. I have been through them. We have been through them when it was difficult to, to understand what God was doing, and the only thing we wanted God to do at that moment was to solve my problem. That's all I wanted. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, the, the prophet writes, I know, O Lord, that a man's ways is not in himself. 
nor is it in a man to walk or to direct his own steps. When Solomon was becoming king of Israel, he said to the Lord, I am just a babe. I don't know how to lead a people. I need help from you. In 2 Chronicles chapter 12, chapter 20 and verse 12, Jehoshaphat is being threatened by an enemy. And verse 12, I love verse 12 of 2 Chronicles 20. He said this, Lord, this people that I'm, that I'm about to face are greater than I am. They have come against us. We don't know what to do. We don't know. We lack the skills to deal with the issue confronting us. And so James is saying, yeah, it is to pray. But how do you pray? And perhaps nothing is more difficult for us in this century or in the West, the thing that when we pray, God has a right to act. God has the responsibility to act when I pray. Hmm. Romans 8.26 says this, And in the same way, the Spirit helps us. That little word, help, in, 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 in English, it's a long word in Greek <laughs> the transliteration of that word is sun anti-lambano that little word help, sun anti-lambano it's a great word because it means that when we come up against things we don't know how to handle the Holy Spirit comes over to our side and he takes with us the thing that we're handling and he takes over so that we have the groanings but the Holy Spirit has the word. And he makes intercessions for us with groanings which we can't utter because we don't know how to pray. We face it, friends. Some of you listening to my voice this morning are facing that right now. You don't know what to do. You feel helpless. You're ignorant. You don't have the skills to deal with it. How can I call this joy? What kind of a joy is this? So in prayer, we confront our own ignorance. In prayer, we confess that we do not have what it takes to deal with the issues to come to a good end. But in prayer, we recognize something else as well. The little word ask, from which the message comes this morning, ask. It's a very interesting word. And please forgive me because I'm not giving you a lesson in Greek this morning. But the little word ask means to address someone who is greater than you. It is the recognition that the one to whom I am crying out to. That's why it says, ask God. See, when we ask God, we're asking someone who is greater than we are. 
wiser than we are, stronger than we are, someone who understands the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. It is the lesser asking the greater. Listen to how great God is. Ephesians 1.19 And we, Paul prayed, that we might know the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places. Ephesians 3.20 Now to Him who is able to do more abundantly above all that we ask or think. (laughs) When I come to God, He has wisdom that is needed. And wisdom is the ability to take what is known and use it correctly. And is this wisdom not needed right now, my friends, in the conflicts between the police and many in Ferguson, in New York City, in San Francisco, in Oakland, even in Toronto. But I'm going to tell you, when we think we have it in ourselves, when we think that everything begins and ends with us, we will never go to anyone greater than we are. And Christians, above everything, as James is writing to Christians, and he's saying, you are to go to God because God is greater than you are, wiser than you are, stronger than you are, and when you ask, you better recognize that you are not equal to God. You better recognize that. That you don't go to God and talk to God. As as someone say, I get in the face of God. Well, I'm going to tell you, When I read the Old Testament and everyone gets in the face of God, they died. You don't get in the face of God. God is greater than we are. Friends, when we look at the vastness of situation, the depth of situation, the complexity of situation, no human being alive or dead or will be alive has the capacity to deal with them and to bring a panacea to it. None. None. So James says, let's ask. If you are to know how to deal with the difficulties of life, ask God for wisdom. Please listen. And what God is going to give you wisdom to do is to be able to look at the situation and to understand the situation and to respond to it. It always amuses me when I read texts like Philippians 4. It says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with my prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. And it says, And the peace of God shall reign in your heart. It doesn't say that God is going to change the situation. So he's going to give me peace to deal with it. And we want this situation to change. And God doesn't change the situation all the time. 
In fact, the process of changing a situation is to change the people involved in it so they can change it. Consider, James says, my brothers, he's talking to those who are one with him in their faith, and he says, consider it all joy when you face various trials when your answer becomes questions for your answer and your answer is criticized or misunderstood. James says you need to be able to look at that and to come to a conclusion, to think the right way about it so that you can come to the right conclusions with it. So there is a response to those who ask. Jesus said it in Matthew 7. Ask and it shall be given. First then, a response is promised. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God and he will give. So a promise is there. Wisdom is asked for from God, and since God provides wisdom for the upright, Proverbs 2, 6, and 7, I can be sure that when I ask God for that which is consistent with the will of God, that he will answer. So if I ask for wisdom, he's going to give it. We'll see why many times this is missed. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. God said, I'm not going to mock you when you pray. I'm not teasing you. I'm not putting a spiritual carrot in front of your face to let you run after something you never achieve. He gives us examples. Psalm 99. Moses asked. Aaron asked. God said, they were my priests and Samuel was among them, all called upon the Lord, and he answered them. Moses and Aaron and Samuel all call upon the Lord, and he answered them. If your faith is real this morning, I'm quite sure you have questions about how God answers. Because you want to know. This is how I see this thing. And, and, and if, if God is, is all wise, why would, he, why would he not give me the answer that I think will work? An answer is promised. That's why the scripture says, whoever comes to God must believe that he is. That he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. God does not promise to, you know, this year I'm told that the U.S. Supreme Court is going to be dealing with frivolous lawsuits. That should save the country some money. <laughs> and then the announcers gave some of those lawsuits, and I had to laugh. Oh, my. I wonder if people just sit and think about, how can I sue the government? Or how can I sue somebody? I mean, it's just an amazing thing. My friends, I want to tell you that God does not 
turn to listen to frivolous prayers. Mine, yours, or anybody else's. And sometimes our prayers can be quite frivolous. And we are sincere with it. I tell you, I've seen some people praying on television. I wonder, wow, how could God respond to that? So a response is promised. God has promised to answer when we ask. We must believe that. But an answer is, in your bulletins, it should be P-R-O-V-I-S-O-R-Y, not P-R-E. And, and the word simply means this, that there are conditions. There is a way that God says we should pray. This is where the text becomes involved. There are certain conditions that must be met, not as a means of merit, but because of who God is. He must, one, he must ask in faith, not doubting. What do we mean he must act, ask in faith? Faith here is not merely a body of doctrinal truth to which we adhere to, but rather the wholehearted attitude of a full and unquestioning commitment to the, and dependence upon God. As he has revealed himself to us in Christ Jesus, it is the proper human response to the goodness of God. Here it is. I ask God, but I don't know that God can be trusted. I ask God because my concept of answers from God is not the answer that God gives. That's not faith, even if we pray. I, I heard the story, and I, I, I find it hard to tell these stories, but this is quite interesting. The little kid went to his, his, his mother and said, Mom, can I have a bicycle for, for Christmas? And the mother said, well, no, you've got to pray about that one. And so he went into his room and he prayed. And then after he was praying, he said, I, I need something stronger than that. So he said, okay, God, if you give me a bicycle, I'm going to make sure that I'm good and I do certain things. So he got out of his room and that still didn't make any sense to him. So he thought, I know one way God has to answer. <laughs> this is why I say, I don't know if I should say this, but I've gone too far now. <laughs> so he found a statue of Mary in their house. And he went to pray and he said, God, if you want to see your mother again. <laughs> some of you have seen that movie. My wife and, and, and some others went to see it. What is it called? Un, unbroken? What did he do when he was in trouble? What did he say? If you get me out of this, I'm going to serve you. And he got out of it, and did he? We can't bargain with God. And many times, my friends, when we go to God, we do not go to God because we believe God. We go to God because we want to be relieved of what we're facing. We, we go because 
God says, pray, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. And I'll tell you what I want. And then you pray, and God doesn't do anything. Because what we do at that time, my friends, we put the character of God on trial in our minds. Listen, look at what James says in verse 5. Nothing doubting. Doubting. Now let me tell you what, what doubting does. It gives us two souls. Two souls. One which believe and one which does not believe. And James says the doubting man is like a wave of the sea. Isn't it interesting? What a, what a, what a beautiful concept there. The wave of the sea is not always vicious. Sometimes it is just going and then all of a sudden it gets really vicious. What is he saying? What this man is doing here in James in doubting is not only doubting the character of God. But he is doubting the answer that God will give when he asks. Because he wants what he wants, she wants what she wants, so I pray to God with half of myself. I pray as I think I ought to pray, but then on the other hand, I pray as I wish I could pray. You see, I, I, I know that if God answers, this is what he will answer. But I don't want that answer. I, I wish that God would do something else. That's the double-minded man. He goes to God, but he doesn't want God to act. He's doubting how God would act because that's, that's not the way he would act. The reason that there is no answer. And by the way, this is facing a particular problem. It's not that that person doesn't have answers or certain things at other times. But in this situation, he is not going to receive an answer from God. Neither you nor I. Because he's not serious with God. He doesn't have any expectations from God. He's putting God on trial in his or her own mind. Because he's doubting that number one, God can be trusted. Look at what happened to me. I was talking with my sisters over the Christmas holidays. I call each of them and talk with them. And it's interesting, as we talked, we rehearse our, our past and, and so on. And uh, with two of my sisters this week, as I was talking with them, we rehearsed how my mother, my mother used to, used to take care of some of our cousins and even some of her own sisters. And believe me, we didn't have much, but mom would. And when mom would see some concern in our faces, she would say to us, cast thy bread upon the waters, it shall return unto thee up to many days. Oh, that made me mad. I'm not kidding. Every time she would, she would cast thy bread upon the waters, and we were rehearsing, Kathy and I were rehearsing, how we have come to the place where our mother, what she cast when we were kids, we are now getting the bread. It's returning to us. But at that time, and sometimes, friends, God is going to give us the wisdom to address a situation, and we will know what God wants us to do. 
But we're not too sure that's what we want. We're not too sure that we're pleased with God's answers. And as a result, God doesn't answer. God doesn't answer. But if we go to God in faith, in an absolute trust, if we seek him, says Jeremiah 29, with all our hearts, not with a divided heart, God has promised to respond. So his response is, thirdly and lastly, powerful, powerful. When I ask, when I pray, I am not only acknowledging God as my source, I am inviting God to act in his way in my circumstance because I know that the end result is going to be good. He is going to do something not only for me but in me through the trials. And let me tell you, none of us likes trials, but it is the one way that God sharpens our faith. Four things that happen when God answers. Four things from the book of James. One, he transforms our character when we ask. Please listen, that before God does anything about your circumstances and mine, he does something about us. Look at James chapter 1 again. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing... Knowing, that's, that's, a, that's a word from the intellect. I know, not guess, knowing that your tr- testing will produce something. And here's where joy comes in. When the thing comes to me, the testing, the trial, the temptation, and I ask God for wisdom, I now know that this situation is God's vehicle into my mind to produce in me a character, purify my character, teach my character, so that I am able to endure. Endure. Oh, my friends, think of how it takes so little to, to distract some of us from our faith in Christ this day. Someone doesn't look at us. Someone doesn't talk to us. Someone doesn't give me as much cornflakes. Doesn't take much. And my friends, James says, when these various trials come, God wants you to ask him for wisdom so that your character is affected by his answer. He wants to make you a person you were not born as. He wants to make me that way. He wants to make us, my friends, people who are able to stay under, to be consistent, to be unmoved by what happens. Like Sir Norman Anderson, his first child raped and then died accidentally. And one of the things about Sir Norman that was said of him, that in all his, the knowledge of the writer knew him personally, he said, I did not hear Sir Norman complaining one day of my knowledge of him. One day. Never heard him once. He transforms our character. The reason, my friends, that some of us find it so hard to pray is because we like the way we are. 
And God says, if I answer, I'm going to change you. You're not going to remain the same person. Secondly, he transfixes our communion. James chapter 4 and verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse yourself, double-minded man. You are to come to God, to the place where he is able to address the area of your life that is stopping him from answering. Let me give you one brief illustration. Jacob. You remember how Jacob swindled his brother's birthright? And what Jacob did, he, he, he pretended that he was Esau. And he went to his father and he, he said to his father, please give me the inheritance that is mine. And his father said, oh, you feel like Esau, but you don't sound like Esau. You sound like, ja no, I'm, I'm Jacob. I'm, I'm Esau. And so his father, because he was going blind, gave Jacob the inheritance. And Jacob had to run because his brother said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Please listen. Joseph, uh, Jacob, went and lived with his uncle. And he was with him for years and years. And now he's getting ready to go back to his, to his heritage. And the scripture says, one night he found himself wrestling with an angel of the Lord. And daybreak was coming. And Jacob said to the, to the angel, let me go. And the angel said, I must return. And Jake, Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I need you, I need you, I need you. And listen to what the angel said afterwards. What is your name? What is your name? Isn't that interesting? The last time Jacob was asked about his name, he lied. And for 30 years... He moved with that lie in his mind. His communion with God broken. And for that communion to be restored, he had to come clean with God. And God said, what is your name? And when he said, my name is Jacob, God said, now I can change you. Now I can change you. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hand, double-minded man. Your communion with me has been affected by your doubt and double-mindedness. Now, I want you to come clean with me. Draw near to God. Pray. Ask for wisdom to respond. He transfixes our communion with himself. Thirdly, I love this one. By means of asking, God brings triumph in the church. Victory. Chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. He's in his sick let them call for the elders of the church. Is any happy? Let them praise God. Is any going through any trials? See, the Bible, my friends, sees prayer as the means by which God does extraordinary things for ordinary people. And the church is to be carried along by its prayer with and for one another. Lastly, when we pray, listen to this, 
God traffics in the community. God traffics in the community. Look at verse 18 of chapter 5 in closing. James chapter 5 and verse 18. He prayed that it might not rain. And then verse 18, he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My friends, the earth, the source of Israel's economy, was affected by the drought, by the fact that there was no rain. A community was in jeopardy. And Elijah prayed, not for the community, but that the community might be affected by God's answer. And he answered, and the earth, the community, was affected because Elijah asked. Our character are affected when we ask Our communion is affected when we ask. The church is affected when we ask. The community is affected. Can we ask for anything more, friends? In two weeks, we'll be having a week of prayer. Will you be among those that ask? That ask? Because the only way that God has provided for us to see things done in those four areas is if we ask. Tennyson again in closing. More things are wrought by prayer than this world can dream of. Wherefore, let thy voice rise like a fountain for me night and day. For what are men better than sheep or goats that nourishes a blind life within within the brain, if knowing God, he fails to lift his hand in prayer to God. If we know, my friends, that God has promised to respond, let us not fail to ask. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. And I have sought to proclaim it consistent with its truth. And I pray that you will accomplish your purpose out of this word to make us an asking church so that we will be affected by what, how God respond, our character, our communion with God, our church, and, oh, God, this community. In Jesus' name, amen.